right, it's Colts calling. I'm Ken Sterling. We are talking about the Colts and the possibility that they go to the Super Bowl. This is the world that we live in. The Colts missed 9-8. and eight. A lot of expectations going into last season. They were unfulfilled. And so fans get a little bit nervous. And more important than that, Jim Ursay gets a little bit nervous. And when Ursay gets nervous, Ballard gets busy. He's the general manager of the Colts. Frank Reich also gets busy. Expectations drive the success or failure of an NFL franchise. And so there is some news today out of the Indianapolis Colts, and that is that Nick Foles may be signed as early as this weekend as the backup quarterback, the primary backup to Matt Ryan. That's a big deal. That would mean that the Colts have have as their priority winning in 2022, which is a little bit different from what Chris Ballard's been about. during his five seasons as the GM. He hasn't sold out for the current, right? He's built toward the future, and he's been relentless about building toward the future while getting some like current good pieces, like trading a 13th overall pick for DeForest Buckner. was kind of a win-now deal, but they needed that piece of the puzzle, that three-tech, in order to be able to compete defensively in the AFC South and in the AFC. So we'll take a look over this uh, half hour to an hour at the Colts, their roster, their coaching staff, and the Tennessee Titans, who are really, let's face it, the only competition in the AFC South standing between the Colts and an AFC South championship because the Jaguars are not ready despite the fact they're going to be better, and Houston's an abject train wreck. So you've got the Titans, who may be taking a step back in 2022, the Colts taking a step up. Uh, we've got a call already. That's Paul. Uh, let's talk to Paul. How you doing? Make sure and unmute yourself, Paul. How you doing this weekend? I'm good, Kent. How are you, sir? Good. Colts going to win the Super Bowl. Colts going to go to the Super Bowl. What do you think? Well, I here's the thing. <clears throat> win the division. Ring yourself up a, as good a record as possible. I'm I'm kind of settled in on twelve and five. And I think there's going to be a demolition derby in the AFC West. Now, all those teams are solid, okay? Some of them are great. But, I, you know, there, there's so much parity within that division. I, we could eke ourselves way into a, a you know, a bye. I, I don't know for sure about that i mean but I, I i have a hard time seeing anybody in the afc west which to me is the key obviously the key division in the afc hammering out a 13-4 record with that kind of uh you know that demolition derby of a division that it's becoming and so um i think we can kind of like the titans did last year kind of sneak in if we're solid and we stay healthy, win the games we're supposed to win, and I think we can pull ourselves into a 12-5 and record and position ourselves well in the playoffs. I, now, I think the tough thing in that scenario, Paul, is the Buffalo Bills because they are also in a division yeah, without a great deal yeah, of, yeah, uh, you're of right. parity. So you've got yeah. the Patriots, the Jets, and the Dolphins going up against the Bills the Bills kind of, to me, look like maybe a 13-win team. And, yeah, and I'm and, cashing chips for them long before, you know, we've earned them. 
But yeah. uh, the Bills with Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, they look pretty good. Yeah, and, and I don't know what their schedule looks like. So, I'm, you know, but easily uh, off of last year and especially the way it ended for them. If they're not the hungriest team in the AFC right now, yeah. I don't know who is because they thought they had that game in the bag, and they, they kind of did if their defense could have just hung in there one more time. Um, one thing I'd like to say about the Foles signing, if that does follow through, I think it's a good signing because I think as a set of eyes – for Matt Ryan, because, you know, usually the backup can be a valuable sounding board for the starter. Yeah. And especially in a situation where Foles has experience in, in Reich's offense and he's he's a respected veteran. You know, Ryan would look at him as a, you know, a, a respected voice. I, I think it's I think there's some, uh, you know, kind of tangential benefit to signing him specifically as a backup. I appreciate it, Paul. Thanks for the call. And let's talk about Nick Foles a little bit. Nick Foles, 33 years old. He is a biggin. He is 6'5", 262 pounds. With the Philadelphia Eagles, he's been really good. Uh, Building over a five-year Period, two periods really with the Eagles, a 21 and 11 record overall as a starter. And a, a guy that the Eagles could count on as a backup took him to the Super Bowl when uh, Carson Wentz got hurt a few years ago and, and got that Super Bowl win. And he's made a lot of money as a backup quarterback. Last year, he was the odd man out in Chicago as uh, Chicago kind of went in another direction at the quarterback position and had. Andy Dalton as the backup. Nick Foles just kind of sat around in street clothes and cashed checks, which is not a bad way to make a living. If he comes to the Indianapolis Colts, what you're talking about here is a guy in Matt Ryan who has missed three starts total over his 14-year career. So he's not a guy who who kind of sits idly by and and nurses his injuries or or you know puts himself in a position to get injured and has a backup come in and kind of do the mop-up work. That's not who Matt Ryan is. Matt Ryan's the guy who answers the bell. So it's the, the question is, if you've got to spend, let's say, $5 million on Nick Foles to bring him in as the backup quarterback, is that $5 million that could be spent elsewhere and give the Colts a, a better chance to win one more game, two more games? And we know what that means. Like, we know what one, min, one win means, right one minute win is the difference between going to the playoffs and not going to the playoffs. And sometimes that one win can be the difference between not going to the playoffs and going to the Super Bowl. Look at the Bengals last year. They finished the season 10 and seven, right? If they lose one more game, they're on the outside looking in. Not only don't they go to the Super Bowl, they don't go to the playoffs. And the Colts, if they had been able to beat either the Raiders or the Jaguars in the last two games of the season, they kind of squeak their way into the playoffs, and maybe they wind up being a Super Bowl team. That's the way this works, and, and that's the way the National Football League is. you, you got to take every chance you can get to improve yourself, put 11 guys on the field that give you the best chance possible to win games. One thing I want to talk about today is about the running game. We know that Jonathan Taylor was stellar 
last year, 1,811 rushing yards. And so Jonathan Taylor became the 23rd guy in the history of the National Football League to run for better than 1,800 yards. But here is why, and I said this this week on the YouTube channel uh, about running the football and how the Colts need to kind of tap the brakes on running the football and not have Jonathan Taylor win the rushing title by 550 yards. But if he wins the rushing title, do it by 100 yards, do it by 200 yards, because when you get to 1,800 yards, your team does not perform as well as you would like. And and here's what I'm talking about. Like I said, there have been 23 running back seasons, some of them with more than one, Eric Dickerson, Barry Sanders among them, with more than one 1,800-yard season. And here's what those teams did in getting to the playoffs and in playing in the playoffs. One guy, one, Terrell Davis, won a Super Bowl while rushing for more than 1,800 yards. And that happened in part because he played against another guy who uh, had over 1,800 yards during the Atlanta Falcons Super Bowl run. So back in the 1998 season, both Terrell Davis and Jamal Anderson ran for over 1,800 yards. Those two guys in the playoffs combined in that season for a 5-1 and one playoff record. All right, there's a little math heavy. So uh, I'll, I'll slow it down for you so we can, we can do the math. But the other guys, you, you've had six of those 23 running backs who did not make the playoffs. Their teams did not make the playoffs after 1,800-yard seasons, including Jim Brown, for goodness sake. Other than Jamal Anderson and Terrell Davis with their 5-1 record in 1998, the others who made the playoffs combined for a 5-15 and 15 record in the playoffs. Teams that reliant upon the run do not do well in the playoffs historically. The only time, like I said, that a running back's team, a, a running back who's gained over 1,800 yards in the regular season, that they won a championship was when that guy played against another guy who ran for 1,800 yards. Happened in 1998, like I said. So Jonathan Taylor running for 1,800 yards is not optimal for the Indianapolis Colts and their hope to get there. And and here's kind of why. Jonathan Taylor, superb last year. Just effing unbelievable last year, right? Great guy to watch. And we were all ringing the bell and, and banging the drum saying, run the football you got to give the ball to Jonathan Taylor. This offense does not move unless Jonathan Taylor gets the football. And you saw it again and again and again and again. Carson Wentz supposedly check out of runs to throw the football, and the offense stagnated. Even last year, though, Carson Wentz, 6.9 yards per pass. That's per attempt, not per completion. Jonathan Taylor, 5.5 yards per attempt. So what you see is an Indianapolis Colts offense that even with Carson Wentz, who they ran out of town, right? Gone. We're done with this guy. Jim Irsay had it with Carson Wentz. He provided the Colts per passing attempt 1.4 yards more than did Jonathan Taylor, who a lot of people in central Indiana thought he should be the MVP or at least the offensive player of the year in the NFL. Jonathan Taylor, when he runs the football, is taking yards away from the offense. If the offense is run efficiently, Carson Wentz 
even though he wasn't as efficient as Philip Rivers the year before at 7.7 yards per attempt, he was more efficient than was Jonathan Taylor when he ran the football. The thing that you've got to take into consideration is it's kind of feast or famine, right, when you throw the football. If you complete two-thirds of your passes, which Matt Ryan is going to do, that means one in every three you come up empty, right? One in every three passing attempts, you don't get any yards at all. So if you throw on first and 10, then all of a sudden you're second and 10. Or if you're second and six, all of a sudden you're third and six. So completions and moving the football are really important. And Jonathan Taylor did not come up empty very often on his runs. And sometimes he took it to the house. He's got an offensive line good enough to knock people down. And then he's fast enough to run away from the guys who haven't been knocked down. So um, that's kind of Jonathan Taylor, and that's the Indianapolis Colts. Um, You want to hop on as a caller? Absolutely do that. We're talking about, obviously, the Indianapolis Colts. and, And over the course of the week on the YouTube channel, we were talking about Chris Ballard and Frank Reich and a little bit about Nick Foles and Jonathan Taylor. What Chris Ballard's ability has been in terms of building this roster and what Chris Ballard's really good at. And, and we kind of saw it over the past week as, as the Colts signed a backup running back, Philip Lindsay, who had a couple of really good seasons. His first two years as an undrafted free agent in Denver, he ran for over 1,000 yards, only guy in NFL history ever to do that as an undrafted free agent into the NFL. But he had some injuries, had a turf toe, had a hip, had a knee, uh, had a concussion, and and so last year, uh, in two stops, he didn't do as well as as he would have liked, and so he was on the street. And Chris Ballard kind of scratched his head and said, "You know what? This is not this is not a bad running back. If he can regain his health, then we've got Jonathan Taylor, Naheem Hines, and Philip Lindsay. I like that position room, right? Here's what the Colts wanted to avoid with the signing of Philip Lindsay, and that is to not have two positions be dinged by one injury, right? If Jonathan Taylor gets injured and Naheem Hines becomes the primary running back, then you've got a situation where Naheem Hines is not as good as Jonathan Taylor, and they really don't have anybody behind Naheem Hines to be that gadget guy, that Darren Sproles-type guy, to make this offense a little more multiple in its looks and a little more dangerous in its execution, and, and so they wanted to remove that as a potential problem. Didn't believe that, at least I don't think they believe that Deion Jackson is the answer to that question. And so now you've got Jonathan Taylor with a backup of Philip Lindsay, assuming again that he's healthy. And Naheem Hines wouldn't have to slide over from the, that Darren Sproles gadget role into the primary backfield spot should Jonathan Taylor get hurt. That's what Chris Ballard does. Chris Ballard finds a way to build depth. There is a problem with building depth that is inherent to depth, that if you have a depth piece who is as good or close to as good as your starting piece, then your starting piece isn't very damn good. And that becomes a problem, right? That's a tough situation. You cannot have a a backup competing for a starting spot Uh, on a regular basis, because when you've got that, that says as much about the starter as it does about the backup, which is a problem. 
Now, grooming a guy like Danny Pitter to take over from somebody like Mark Lewinsky, good. Mark Lewinsky was not a Pro Bowl guard, and he's not going to be a Pro Bowl guard. And who needs a Pro Bowl guard anyway? That's a story for another time, and involves Quentin Nelson. But Danny Pinner is a guy who's going to be able to come in on the cheap and do the job that Mark Lewinsky did without having to spend the money that the Colts spent on Lewinsky. That's important. And and so in that situation, depth can be a real boon to the success of a franchise. In a situation like Darius Leonard, you know, Darius Leonard is far and away the best linebacker on this team, and he should be, right? Quentin Nelson is far and away the best guard on this team, and he should be. And you hope that in the draft, Chris Ballard was able to find a guy, let's say Bernard Ryman, right? If Ryman is as good as advertised and he can maintain his health and being 24, 25 years old isn't really a deterrent to playing the guy or a deterrent to his growth because he's kind of young into football, he could be a starting left tackle for a long time. And that's critical for the Colts. They got to find that left tackle. And so if they were able to, in this draft, in the second and third rounds, three picks in the third round, right? In the second, they pick up Alec Pierce. If Alec Pierce can be a starting wide receiver, and then if Jelani Woods can be a starting tight end, an athlete, scouts are saying he is an athlete unlike any the NFL has ever seen. All right? If he's that, and they pick him up at 73, you get Ryman at 77, and you get Nick Cross at 96. And if he can come in and start at safety, then you've got four guys drafted between 53 and 96 who are going to help you. The problem with doing that, taking guys mid-second toward the back end of the third, is that you, you tend to get guys who are just guys. You tend to get those depth pieces who are good enough to get you beat. You know what I mean? Like when when the Bengals went out last year and picked up Jamar Chase, Jamar Chase became a dynamic cat, and part of that was facilitated by his relationship with Joe Burrow that dates back to their time together at LSU. When you've got a guy at the top end of the food chain taken at the top of the draft a couple of years in a row like Burrow and Chase, all of a sudden you've got top-end guys who are going to keep you in the game as far as going to the Super Bowl. And that's why the Bengals are now a team that people are looking at as Super Bowl favorites, although I think they're overblown. I don't think that they're a Super Bowl team. I, I think in the AFC you're talking about the Chiefs because they're kind of that that team that has shown over a period of time that they are really, really good. You got the Buffalo Bills who I think are going to you know, kind of um, understand the scarcity of opportunity because of the way they've lost the last couple of years and, and really kind of nut up and play great football and, and sort of put themselves in a spot where they, can, uh, where they can compete at that level. And you've got, um, like I like the San Diego, or San Diego, I keep saying San Diego, but the Los Angeles Chargers because they've got Justin Herbert. And when you've got Justin Herbert, who's quickly becoming one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL, you got a guy who can help you and push you toward a championship run. The Colts are trying to do it backwards, right? They're trying to go out and, and get veteran quarterbacks to come in and, and kind of lift them and, and make them competitive in a way that 
it, Matt Ryan was going to be unable to be competitive with the Atlanta Falcons just because they're not ready to win. So he's that plug and play piece that was uh, acquired for a third round pick and off you go. Activate yourself as a, uh, a caller and, and let's talk about that a little bit. The, the drafts for Chris Ballard, assuming that the uh, 2022 draft is uh, is as good as it looks on paper. You've got kind of a tale of two types of draft. The even-numbered years, Chris Ballard, good. The odd-numbered years, not so much. Let's go to uh, let's go to Paul. How you doing, Paul? Uh, make sure and unmute yourself again. Yeah. Okay, Kent. Uh, I'll chime in on <clears throat> Bernard Ryman because um, you know we all thought it was a, a pretty nice draft call, um, first glance. And, uh, of course, everything has to – these guys have to show up and play. But if he can emerge, or for that matter, Matt Pryor, if any one of the – either one of those guys can really lock it down at left tackle, the to me, the biggest benefit of that, at least for the next four years in Ryman's case, you offset that money you're going to have to pay Nelson which it sounds like Ballard is bound and determined to keep Quentin Nelson. And I know your take on it, and it it has a lot of merit, but it doesn't sound like that's the way Ballard's going to go. So, um, man, a left tackle on a rookie contract who's really productive and plays above average at the position, what a – that would be a bonanza for us, really, because, um, you know, it it flattens out that – dollar amount we have invested in the o-line so i'm i'm really pulling for ryman or prior i don't i don't care which guy does it even if even if prior steps up and has a all pro season he's not going to command any 20 million dollars as a left tackle you so, you would hope not but it, for people who are unaware of my intractability as far as quentin nelson is concerned i, I don't think that you pay a guard you know, 16 to $18 million a year to play. I think that guards can be widgets. Those can be guys you sort of plug and play like Pullian did back in the 2000s. Yeah. And the tackles and are be... the guys that you pay. So if you've got yeah. Ryman as a rookie contract guy, like you said, and you've got a left guard that you're not going to pay $18 million, you know what? That gives you a lot of money to go be able to invest in a wide receiver. Yeah. You know, wouldn't you like to have a wide receiver? For God's sake, look at what the... Look at what the Titans do, and I know they take a step back by losing A.J. Brown, but they pick up Traylon Burks in the draft, Robert Woods for a sixth-round pick because the Rams wanted out of that contract, and they go get a guy that I loved in the draft in Kyle Phillips. It may turn out that the Titans don't take a step backwards, that they take a step forward without A.J. Brown because mm. they picked up three other pieces. Yeah, yeah. And and yeah, one more thing on on Nelson. To be fair to Ballard, because I know he took a a good deal of heat from a lot of Colts fans and football observers. That what are you pulling a guard out of the draft at number six for? Yeah. Well, at the time, let's remember, he thought he had a healthy and hungry Andrew Luck coming back. Which if let's let's just play it out, play the the fairy tale out if 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 andrew had committed himself and stayed we might have been with there might have been a super bowl in there we don't know but that's that's the pretense under which he drafted um you know nelson so 
you know, and I'll say this, you know, a lot of people say that he should have drafted Josh Allen, who was taken with the next, next pick by the Buffalo Bills. But this city and NFL pundits would have gone haywire if Chris Ballard had taken a Josh Allen with the sixth overall pick while he had a 28-year-old Andrew Luck that nobody in the world had an idea was going to retire. Yeah, 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 that that would have been, <laughs> that would have blew things up a little bit, but uh Anyway, uh, let's. I'm 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 rooting for Ryman or Pryor. Either one of those guys just tighten up that left uh, tackle position, and I think we're the offense is in really really good shape. I appreciate it. Thank you, Paul. Let's talk to Jake. How you doing today, Jake? Make sure and unmute yourself. I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself, Kent? I couldn't be better. Things are going good. At least the weather right now is pretty good. It's fast Friday out at the track, so we're going to have a good time today. Definitely. Um, I was just calling because I wanted to get your thoughts on Nick Cross. It, do you think he's going to be the next Bob Sanders? I only asked that just because Bob Sanders was my favorite Colt growing up. You know what? Bob Sanders was awesome, wasn't he? Uh, it, it wasn't able to play for a long time, but those four playoff games back in two, the end of the 2006 season, uh, they don't go to the Super Bowl without Bob Sanders. But I hope that Nick Cross – is a little bit more judicious with the way he lays the wood on receivers and on running backs and and hopefully can stay healthy in a way that neither Malik Hooker or uh, Julian Blackman have shown themselves able to do. I, I, I'd like to see a safety be able to play for the Colts for, for a little bit more than a few games before they lose their seasons. Uh, and, and I'd love to see Nick Cross be that guy. I know people love him. I didn't watch a lot of him when he was at Maryland. But I know he's got great range, and I know he hits hard, and and he looks like a guy who, as Gus Bradley, likes to play sort of too high every once in a while. Kari Willis is not going to be a too high safety, but if you've got you know Nick Cross and Rodney McLeod or Nick Cross and Julian Blackman, I think you can cover a lot of ground back there. Oh, definitely, for sure. What do you think about the Titans? Uh, the Titans are clearly sort of the because Jacksonville and, and Houston, at least at this point, look like they're going to struggle again this year. The Titans, they've won the last two AFC Souths. Do you think that the Titans have taken a step back and the Colts have taken a step up? Or or how do you view the Titans as a rival for the Colts? Um, well, first of all, I don't really see them as a rival. I mean, yeah, they're in the division, but I see the Patriots as a rival. But um, in terms of within the division, I think that the Titans definitely, well, not definitely, we don't know for sure, but I think they did take a step back. And I do think the Colts positioned themselves well to get the division title. They appear to be, you know what, and this is kind of how I look at it, now that we're into Ballard's uh, coming into his sixth season, we can kind of gauge what his temperament is and, and see where he thinks his team is. And he's making kind of those finishing pieces. He, he's not, you know, he's dug the foundation. He's put up the framing of the house. He, he's put on the roof. He's drywalled. And now he's kind of laying a hardwood floor and putting up the mantle. And, and he's doing those finishing pieces for this house that really haven't been done in the previous five years. Makes you think that either... He wants Jim Ursay to understand that he's got some urgency or that he believes this team's ready to win. Yeah, um, I, I think 
you said it best there. Um, <laughs> like, I'm not leaving you any room, am I? I'm just I'm asking no. a question and answering it myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, when you do look back over the course of the drafts, he traded back a lot more in the early drafts than he did in these later drafts. Um, trying to get more picks, trying to get more players just to build that foundation, like you said. And I do think now he is definitely trying to finish it off with some athletes. Uh, I mean, this was the most athletic draft we've seen in a while. Um, and he's just trying to basically put the finishing touches on the roster, and I like it. All right. Thank you very much, Jake. I appreciate it. That's Jake. And uh, this is these are interesting times for the Indianapolis Colts, I think. And this is where, you know, we, we don't talk a lot about the NFL during the month of May. We're, we're three months out from the Super Bowl and we're about three months out from really the beginning, uh, the opening weekend of, uh, of the kind of our, our preseason schedule, three games this year two in Indianapolis. Um, but these these are the days when this thing comes together and that team figures out who it is and, and they develop the chemistry that they're going to need to be able to function together as a unit. It, it's different in the NFL. You know, if, if you don't have that chemistry and you don't have that belief in one another and if you don't go out and cover for each other and have each other's back, it is really a difficult, difficult schedule. So that, that 17 weeks can get long. If, if you and your team don't have that that functionality together. And and so these days during the, the off-season workout schedule, really, really important. And the, the media availabilities that we have every week, uh, you know, whether we're talking to Frank Reich or Gus Bradley or Ballard or, or Jonathan Taylor, Darius Leonard, and, and Matt Ryan, hearing what they think about the upcoming season, I think you can get a, a general feel for the tone of the Indianapolis Colts. And, and I think that they understand that it's nut cutting time. And this is the season for them to be able to function really, really well and put up wins that don't reveal Chris Ballard to be a 500 general manager. He's 42 and 42, including one and two in the postseason during his five seasons as the GM here. You've got to be better than that. And, and there are people, and not just, Colts fans who love Chris Ballard, but there are people inside the NFL who say that Chris Ballard's the best general manager in the NFL. Well, you got to be better than 42 and 42 for me to believe that. There are people who say that Ed Dodds is the best assistant GM in the NFL. You got to be better than 42 and 42. I love that he's here and I love that he stays here, you know, and, and that the, uh, that the Browns and the bears, he said, no, I got no interest in talking to you people. Uh, I want to stay with the Colts for the time being until I get the job that's right for me. I love that. That shows a guy who who's very, very willing to strategize at a high level for his own career. And if you're not willing to do that, how can you be trusted to strategize for a, an NFL franchise? Um, but lots going on, and there are going to be there's going to be lots coming up. Uh, the Colts with minicamp coming up, and the Colts with their training camp coming up get ready for this pivotal 2022 season. Thanks to everybody for for uh, climbing on today. And, and thanks for those of you who listened. Really appreciate it. Have a great weekend. Hopefully the weather turns out all right. Hopefully Tiger can uh, keep rolling at the PGA. 
And hopefully the Celtics and Brad Stevens, the new general manager, can get to the NBA Finals and find a way to win that damn NBA championship. I'd love to see that for the Zionsville native. We'll talk to you next week, and we'll talk to you all week on the YouTube channel twice a day, Breakfast with Kent at 8 o'clock every morning, and then Inside Indiana Sports Now at about 4 o'clock every afternoon. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks so much.